Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Jason Yerusi with us here today. Jason, I really appreciate you joining me, and I'm going to send everybody to your website. So check out yerusiholdings.com, and I'll make sure that is a clickable link in the show notes. So just head into the show notes on your podcasting app and, and tap on through. Again, it's Yerusi Holdings. And we're going to be talking about quite a bit of things here, including possibly some syndication and, and a few other things. But I really appreciate your time here tonight, Jason. Well, great. Thanks for having me, Jack. Well, Jason, based on what I've read about you, you have quite a bit of experience in the area of the country that I haven't found a lot of people with a ton of success or they shy away from, from your part of the world because of maybe there's a myth or something there regarding it just being too expensive. How, how are things progressing and how long have you been investing on the East Coast? So actually, so funny enough is I, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I lived in New York City for you know 12 or 13 years and before moving back to New Jersey. But for the last year and a half, I moved down to south of Nashville here in Tennessee. And that thing, we in real estate back in 2014, we were up in New Jersey at that time. Before that, we were in New York City and opened up some successful breweries and bars and restaurants there before moving out to help dad with his family construction business for which he does house moving and house lifting. And after Hurricane Sandy, his business exploded, right? So we moved out there. My wife now, but who was my girlfriend at the time, and my brother who was working for me to help dad, all with the decision that we weren't this, this was great to help dad, but we were trying to find a way to get back our time. And we thought real estate was that logical step. So we did start flipping, wholesaling, doing Airbnbs, things that were up there by us in New Jersey, but it, it was constantly going away from our goal, right? We wanted to control our day, control our outcome. And here we are really busy with dad with the construction business. And now we're piling on all these activities between the flips, the wholesales, just constant activity. Every every moment of the day was being chewed up and then we were having less time. Came upon my wife, me and someone who was doing investing out of state. They were investing out in Indiana, buying single family homes, basically buying turnkey homes. And we looked at that as an opportunity where we started to buy homes that, that were not renovated, right? We were buying and we started not doing single family, we started doing two and three and four units, buying them unrenovated, getting there, putting a process in, getting them fixed up, having a property management company in place, getting them leased out. And lo and behold, that was that first moment where we saw the ability to, to really get back our time because we couldn't get in the way of being part of the process, right? And we found that that wasn't going to be scalable to the level we want, right? It was going to be so many logistical nightmare to have 50 or 60 duplexes around town. So we constantly were looking for what else was out there. Well, I came upon syndication back in 2016. Really, that was the light bulb moment saying, that, well, this is it. This gives us all the opportunity we want to be able to maximize. And really, for me, it was looking at businesses that weren't performing and how to make them better. And that's what I saw with the apartment buildings, right? It got back to when we were doing a lot in New York City with restaurants and bars. We could just understand that part. If something wasn't performing, I could say, okay, I get how we can either create more revenue channels or maximize the income or get more efficiencies with the operating expenses, right? And so we were able to 
easily say, okay, I get why this works with apartment buildings. So we dove all into syndication. That was back in the 2016 and sold all the little properties and then moved into that first 94 unit that we brought. However, noting the price tag in New Jersey, you know, so a very, you know, high price per pound and the equivalency of what you get for rent for what you pay didn't make sense. So we are always looking in markets that didn't make more sense for us. We were looking for landlord friendly, of course, population growth, job growth, job diversity, you know, constrained supply and a number of other metrics. And that led us to Louisville, Kentucky. And now we've done about maybe 17 or 18 projects, a lot really targeted through Louisville, Nashville, and Atlanta. So although we started in New Jersey and we, we were doing most of this while living in New Jersey, but we just decided about a year and a half to change the pace and then we have found ourselves down here in Tennessee. Yeah. Wow. That, you've had quite the journey and how long, in what period of time? For syndication, for getting yeah. to about 17, 1800 units, 2017, May of 2017 actually was the first acquisition we had there in Louisville. That's a relatively compressed amount of time. I mean, you must have learned quite a few lessons along the way. You know, what I've found is that understanding the power of everything you do is by who you surround yourself with, right? And so we found a mentor out of the gate who was doing it successfully, right? And we said, because I said, okay, well, to most, even when you talk to people today, they don't know this is an opportunity or available to them. They don't understand syndication. They think that people buying apartment buildings are bigger REITs or bigger operations or institutional players. And so I saw other people doing this successfully and I just started modeling what they were doing. And our whole process has always been a backwards re-engineered process that we're not looking for the deal first. We're making sure that we like the market. We can prepare the team. We can, of course, prepare our investors. So when we do find that great opportunity, we can go in there and have the best path forward to success. Now, of course, when you buy a hundred, you know, a hundred unit building, there's a hundred, 200, 300 people living in an apartment complex. They, the plan's not going to always go go perfect, right? And that that's expected. However, surrounding ourselves with people who have done this and do this successfully, it allows us the least downside risk because as things come up, we have the experience to be able to handle them in the most efficient way. Sure. Well, and you you brought up your family, your wife and and your dad. Are they all involved in the businesses? Just my wife and myself. So we, we knew that it was, it was great to help dad, but this is what my dad's done for over 45 plus years. So my brother really spearheaded with that. And we really wanted to take that new direction for us. And so it's been my wife and myself. We've now grown, of course, our company, but in the beginning, you know, these first couple acquisitions was just her and I. So it was a, we, which sounds good, right? You hear that, oh, you're doing these, you know, bringing on investors, doing this whole point. We, we did great. You know, we, we've, We've been able to sell them and do really great for our investors, but it's a lot of hats to wear. And so as you can continue to grow your company, continue to grow your partnerships, you're able to expand in a way that you can be most efficient with the process. And then everyone can benefit. You know, these are large complexes. We're doing this in a big way. There's a uh, pie that can be cut up in a pretty big, substantial way so everyone can benefit. But it also allows everyone to sit in their seat in their best position. Right. And so that, that's been one of the key parts here is that as we continue to expand, to understand that if we're trying to do everything, well, we're, we're, we're definitely not doing something good at the moment when it needs to be done. Sure. Well, if you don't mind me asking, like, how has it been having your wife as a, essentially a partner in the business? I mean, no. a lot of us don't have that experience. But funny enough, we actually met working together. So Peely and I met working in New York City in these in bars. 
So before we were a couple for the first 10 years of our life, I mean, we were working together. So we, we, it was actually that we had to learn the relation side before the working side, right? And so the key thing that we knew was that we constantly gave each other the permission to go out there and do what we believe with and then support each other. That's the same thing we do today. We, we come together, but it, I don't have to go ask for every decision maker and she doesn't have to go for the point. We stay in our lanes. I drive a lot on the acquisition side, on run the project side. She is very big. And of course, on the marketing, the investor relations side. So we wear hand in hand so we can be productive in this pace. And that's sometimes the point is also is in a relationship where I find that you, you, you find difficulty if you're trying to work with your spouse is that when you're doing something, you're also not asking the question, is this what the other person wants, right? Many times you say, you know, you, well, I'm out there and I'm, I'm going, I'm working 25 hours a day to try and buy all this real estate so we can have the brightest future. And, you know, I all asked, well, have you gone and asked your husband or wife, is that what they want? Because they may want you to be home for, for half of that time and don't care about the millions of dollars that you want to make. And, but you haven't asked that question. So assuming that you know their answer without actually asking the question. So Peely and I have continued constant communication. If something is disrupting in our relationship, we just have to stop and ask what that is and ask what, what, what is that part of contention that's not going right? And when you have, you know, we have three young kids, very busy business, you can consistently go, right? You can go without stopping at so many different times and just never turn off that switch. But sometimes you just have to stop for that moment to make sure everything's going as you think it is. And we're both on the same page. And that's always been important for us. It's been important for us when we first started out. But funny enough, we, we work together. And so the, the relationship was the newer side of us being together. Mm-hmm. So when you got into real estate investing, who was it first who brought the idea to the, to the other? Like, or was this a joint effort right from the beginning? So it's usually I'm driving on the ideas and my wife is the one to give me a, a, a contain if an idea is just outlandish, right? And so syndication, it, I, that, that would be one of the part for relationship that may, may, may need some point is that I'll move quicker than her. And that's always been our part. She likes to have the idea and be able to think about it. And where I've learned to, to make sure I'm keeping in boundaries is that I, I have a tendency to ask a question and then not give her the time to respond because I'm already giving, giving her the answer. Right. And so for syndication, I, I saw the light, gave her with the idea, but I had, had to let her understand because with buying large anything, right, we think it creates more risk, right? More worry, everything being bigger. Jared, right? And that's why so many times people will, will shy away from, you know, making money or doing big things because they're, they're, they're fearful of not only just their failure, but they're also sometimes fearful of actually the success of it. Well, with large multifamily, we had to give the opportunity for understand that if you look at large multifamily, it's a safer investment than if you're buying a single family house. You know, your, your risk is spread across, you know, a hundred units. So you can get better leverage. You have better downside protection with insurance, you have cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, tax advantages, debt pay down by your tenants, right? We have so many opportunities here for you to win with multifamily. You're going to look better in the eyes of a lender because they don't see this as such a risk as a single family house. It's either all or nothing, right? So there's just so many reasons when you think about multifamily, why it's such a strong asset class, why it continues to perform in all kinds of matters. Today in during COVID, why it's going to continue to be one of the best asset classes. Well, for that, that's a lot of information. 
So when we first started out, it was to bake down the steps for us and say, this is where I want to go because it's basically taking everything we're doing with these smaller properties and just putting it in packaging into one building. And when you treat it like one building, instead of having a maintenance guy who's going to run over town to try and figure out what's wrong, well, now you can hire on staff that can run the property efficiently. And so when you start to actually take the moment and take a deep breath and thinking about it, it makes all the sense. So it was a moment of clarity for her to think about it because, and then she was all on board, right? And that's usually where it goes. Just give time for things to manifest if you believe it's right and go forward there and then let her kill other ideas when I want to go open a donor franchise or something else that, that probably isn't the best use of our time. Yeah. How do you, how do you rein in or does your wife help you with that, that shiny object syndrome that we all have? You know, she definitely helped for that. I've gotten a, a lot less away from it. I, it's more now, and I, I found that success comes, and, you know, part of our mastermind is seven-figure multifamily. A lot of that is just getting investors to understand that if there's more opportunity, that doesn't absolutely mean it's better, right? If you're, if you're going after multifamily across the entire nation, everything's going to look a good, like a good deal. I mean, everything, you know, you're, you're in Bismarck, then you're in Boise, then you're in Miami one day, you're going to deal in Cincinnati. Everything's going to look magical. But it took, by the time you can figure out, go through all these points, go all through this, the Jisco nightmare. Well, maybe it will or maybe it won't, but you're going to be so late in the game. Someone else who's really dialed in is going to be able to be much quicker to the start to get that property. So I've always been a proponent to be really dialed in and go deep in our market. That's why I started in Louisville before I went to other markets. And that's why even right now, I'm really bullish on, on Nashville, but I'm not going to Chattanooga. I'm not going to Clarksville. I'm not going to Memphis. I'm Nashville MSA, basically. It's metropolitan statistical area. But what that's allowed me to do is really hone our approach in so I can be more systematic, but also stay in multifamily, but look in other parts where I have experience. So we have some development projects, some other things going here. So I found that, the ability to, to, to stay narrow in your approach, although it may limit your opportunities, say you get, you don't get a thousand opportunities, you get 10, but of those 10, you have three projects you know are great because you know the area where across those thousand, there might be three in there, but what do you have to do to get to those opportunities? Mm-hmm. Well, you earlier, you know, you talked about your experience with your dad and getting really busy moving houses and everything else. With that in mind, it sounds like you're a very busy guy now. What have you done to make sure that your current role isn't as time-consuming or you don't fall into that same trap? I think we like being busy, right? So I don't know what I do myself, I didn't. But I constantly, I'm just, I'm trying to continue to just bring on more people to the company, right? And that's been a big part here. So we can, we, you know, we have some partners we work with that are not part of the company. Some of the ones over at Seven Figure Mold uh, Family on some of these projects, but trying to continually bring people onto the company that can help assist on roles and make sure that they can help us grow, but also they align with, of course, our overall vision of the company, culture of the company. But I'm also empowering them that I'm not getting in their way, right? So we have a marketing person, acquisition person, underwriting, asset management, because those are roles that are going to continue to grow and continue to be a point where in the beginning, I could jump from role to role to role to be as the to be efficient when it wasn't so so busy. But now that we have a lot of projects, we, we constantly have a lot going on each week, need to continue to put more people in positions where the company can continue to grow successfully and not me be the person in the middle who's constantly creating the bottleneck. Sure. 
So those people that are listening to you, you know, regarding this, and they're thinking about doing a syndication themselves, what are those things that they should probably be aware of before they try to jump in? Like, what are some of the mistakes you made and what did you learn from them? Sure. You know, our, our mistakes more is that we should have gone faster. Funny enough, we got to a good spot, but I have a couple friends and a couple other parts who have, who have done, you know, five times what I've done and more because they stayed and, and did what I'm doing now to grow the team. They did that early on to expand, right? We stayed small too long, thinking that we could just do it all. And although again, on paper, sure, like the first ones were just us and our, and our, and the, the investors who came on as passive investors. That sounds great, but it limited our overall bigger, bigger transition or path forward because I was the bottleneck. You know, Peely was the bottleneck. We only had so much of us. And at that time, and we've done this in Peely's, you know, we have, we've had three little kids, right? Two of them had been born while we were doing this one just prior to it, right? So building out a team is what it goes. We did do the right thing to build out the external team, right? So it's always been most important to have a great property management company, you know, get in front of our brokers, our insurance people, our cost aggregation people. So we've always been good for that because regardless of how great you can come up with the game plan, if you don't have the team to implement that plan on the ground for the property, it's all for naught. So we've always been very efficient for that, but ourselves of going out there, because as you do these projects, if you're finding a deal and you get a deal and now you're under contract, now you're doing due diligence and you're going out there, raising capital, working on the loan, well, you're not, again, finding the next opportunity, right? So it's that constant plug and play. And anybody who is in that single family space who does a lot of marketing, you could think of it like you market a lot, you get real busy, right? And then all of a sudden, so you stop your marketing for a minute, but then all of a sudden now you get through that busy piece, but because your marketing stopped, now it takes you four or five, six weeks to ramp up again because you don't have the infrastructure, right? So a similar process here and realizing out of the gate, I needed to continue to expand our wings and it took us a minute to get there, but now we're doing it and continue to build that and we're looking you know, excited for the path forward. Sure. So, you know, you mentioned uh, you're in Louisville and now you're, you're going to be, was it Nashville? Yeah, we lived south of Nashville, but we've, we've, we've invested in about seven markets now, but the main one out of the gate. Yeah, I, I think it's especially interesting. You bring up the fact that you need to really understand the markets before you spread into others. I, I have run into quite a few people who their market is the United States. And it, and it, I, I just have never been able to get my brain around the fact that how do you, how do you establish value or how do you get familiar enough to pull that off? But, but then on the other hand, now most of the properties that you have are in these other markets. It sounds like, are you hiring most of those people on site and in those markets to handle them or how it doesn't sound as your, or is somebody on your team doing that property management? How does that look? We use third-party property management. And so in each one, and we're even more specific. So like Louisville, for instance, in Louisville, you know, for our acquisitions there, we've targeted 50 to 125 units, BC assets built between 1970 and 2000 in the south, southeast and south submarkets, right? So I didn't invest in the east, the west. So we were even more dialed in. We did that same thing here. But I look for property management companies that fit that mold. So I'm looking for BC assets. I'm not going to find a property management company that just does single-family homes or just does new construction or does only student housing. I wanted to find one that was very versed in, in really value-add apartment buildings. And so I've made sure that I find the right property management partner and 
there's been markets that we've looked at and we haven't gone into them because we could not find that key player that we wanted to be one of our external team members, right? So making sure you have that partner or very solidified that partner, first and foremost, most important, right? Because again, then you want. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, you know, and I I think a lot of people neglect to mention that is that it sounds like you really work towards building that local network first before you even head into trying to do an acquisition because yeah. a lot of people it's almost that concept of find the find the property and the money will follow. I keep pushing the concept you you need to be building your network as much if not more than finding that property. It, it's almost a real estate investing myth that I've been on a on a journey to try to bust. But I, I well, you'll like this because that that I actually hundred percent agree. We did the same thing. So th- when we raised our first our first deal we raised I think seven hundred thousand dollars. We did it in a day. But we didn't do that in a day in our process because I've heard that a hundred times over and I completely disagree with it. Right. You may be able to find the money if you have a good deal, but you probably won't be able to do it in the, in a time that it takes to get the deal done. But then you're in a, in a position where I have to go at Jack. I need your money because I got to, and that's a bad position for me to put you in. You don't feel good about it, or maybe you do, but you feel stressed because now you have to make a decision. I need your money. And then I'm trying to explain this whole brand new subject to you. You may have never heard of before because you just do stocks and bonds. So we. Found what our avatar property is going to look like. I talked about it before. We made a one page of what it was. And remember, I'm coming from the construction world, the bar world, the you know the the brewery world. And now my friends know know our track record from there, but they have no idea of me in the real estate space. So we started taking that and having conversations with our friends and our network, and just telling them about what we're doing and why we're excited, and why we're loving, it and why it could benefit them, just to gauge our interest. And what I found is that. We had enough conversations that we were getting enough soft yeses, right? Nobody was giving me money at this time. We weren't asking for it, but I was getting, hey, listen, if we do find this property, would you think about investing 25000 or 50000 And lo and behold, you get enough people to say yes, and you can now feel comfortable that you're going to have about a million dollars of saying yes. Well, it now gives you more empowerment to go out and find these projects because I'm not just finding a project and hopefully guessing that I, yeah, I guess I could probably raise that million if it comes to it, right? And then that investor isn't put on the spot because they've had plenty of time to think it through. So when I come back to them, they're ready, right? And so that's allowed us to raise money very quickly because we've already prepared them for it. Yeah, this is a great approach because I I can't stress enough how acting in any direction, whether it's a property acquisition or trying to raise money, if you're coming out of the acting out of desperation, it never works out. (laughs) It just doesn't. Correct. So, and is this the process that, you know, it, it almost sounds like you are raising money without asking for it directly. Is that, would that be a fair way of saying it? Yeah. We actually say that we actually have a, Peely has a presentation, say how to raise money without asking for it. Because you, so it's funny you said that you got our tagline there because it's that same thing. We do those steps because again, not every investor is going to be right for our investments and we're not going to be right for every investor, right? If you're you know, looking for a turnaround in six months of your money, these are, you know, three to seven year investments, right? And so we want to make sure like, if you're looking for something with access to liquidity, or you're looking for something that, you know, it just may be a different business model than us, then great. We, we want you to find that. We don't want to pressure you into the wrong decision. We want you to understand what we're doing because there's a lot of ways, like I talked about for multifamily to really win for investors. 
but they need to review this to see, okay, which bucket is that it going to be? Is it the, the tax advantages? That might be one reason. Is it portfolio diversification? Sure, it could be great too. Is it the ability to start getting some cash flow on their money that's sitting there dying in their bank account? Okay, maybe that that's what they need, right? But me asking that question, learning more about them to see if we can be a benefit, that gives them the opportunity to survey what we're doing and then be ready for it instead of me saying, hey, I got this deal. I need your answer today. Can you give it to me by Monday? Let me know if you'll be in my Monday, right? That's that's just not fair to the investor, right? And there's plenty of time to do that if you're patient enough to understand that you're in this for the long run. Right. So what, would you mind sharing? Like, what What's one of the projects you're working on right now? Sure. We just closed last Wednesday a 64-unit here in Nashville, Tennessee, about a $15 million project. Just really excited for that project. We have a fantastic management company here on a couple other projects here locally. So they hit the ground running with that one. That project is very interesting. The building itself, it's 32 two-beds, 32 uh, one-bedroom. That project itself, the rents have been cla- kept in classic condition, all the units. The rents are severely under market, somewhere between four, four and $700. And which helps us even more is that we're in a very attractive market, Berry Hill, like South Nashville. And there's a new construction property right next to us that's leasing up, that's leasing up about well, a, a thousand to twelve hundred dollars higher than our new market renovated rents will be. So we're very bullish on that one. It's got a great little mini package. We're going to maximize, going to maximize a lot of efficiencies in that property. So really excited to see that one push forward. That's a that's a five year hold product. Then we have a two hundred thirty eight unit development here, about twenty minutes south of in a market that's very underserved for rentals. It's a townhome project. We're going to do in three phases. Just have plans. I've just had our first feedback back from the township. We should, we'll be closing on that. Just, just towards the end of August right now. And so we're really excited to get that one out of the gate. Just closed a couple months ago on another one down in Atlanta, 70 unit value add project down there in just a submarket of Atlanta to go with a couple of the other proper, properties we have there. That's been a good turnaround project. And so, yeah, we, we've been busy. It's been a lot going on here and we're continuing the survey right now. Just big important thing is, is Real estate and specifically multifamily can be a, a great use case for when inflation happens. But we've been surveying the debt markets just to make sure we're putting ourselves in the best position of the best use of debt for the particular timeline of what's happening here in the markets, right? So the one we just closed in Nashville got a five-year fixed rate with the local bank, gave us a very desirable loan that surprised we, we actually, they kept their word on that loan coming to the finish with so much had been happening here. But 12-month IO, five-year fixed, amortized over uh, 25 years. So really good, good loan out of the gates. We're excited about that, but constantly talking to lenders, just getting a gauge on the lending environment, just based on, you know, we had two points of interesting news this week, just seeing how they're continuing to gauge. A lot of lenders are sitting on the sidelines right now, especially the bridge lenders, just for the fact that they don't want to retrade people, right? They're, they're pretty, pretty sure with this, right? They're sitting on the sideline, just letting the dust settle. And typically, you know, everybody goes into panic mode for a few weeks. And when they get used to the new level of uncertainty, then they come back to the table. So we're out there talking, right? There's a lot of options with community banks, local banks. Fannie and Freddie, who we, who have been hard to use over the little bit because with values going up and rent staying low, it's been hard for them to meet the gamut. They've been offering some different products that are now taking amortization out with exceptions like 35 years. So 
There, there are some interesting use cases for debt products out there. And that's been a lot of our focus is to make sure that we're keeping our head on a swivel with all the moving pieces that's happening there. Sure. You know, I was going to ask you, like, what have you done differently or has there been any changes in, in your business with with the uncertainty in, in the market? I mean, the economy, let's face it, is kind of in a free fall, <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe it right now. It's pretty unpredictable. Yeah. You know, the, it, there goes a note where if you think about multifamily and you, you look at, say, single family, right? A couple months ago, that 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 home buyer who was trying to buy a $350,000 house with where, where interest rates were, they were going out there and they were finishing in 20, 20th place, right? Well, now, now that same home buyer who get a $350,000 house can get like a $260,000 house, of which n- there are none. Right. These people are coming down in house prices. Now, they were still at a one of 20 before, so there was another 18 people beyond trying to find a house. And what that does is that puts more downward pressure on the rental market that's already well underserved out there, right? So the rental market is still, we're going to fall this decade. We're going to be short about 5 million homes from what they need units just to meet the, the supply of housing needed. We haven't met one year of needed supply since about 2007, 2008. And in 2025, 2026, right there, we might start to get to that level. But again, it's costing more to build this product. There's less labor, harder to get with supply chains with materials. So the product they're putting in place costs more. So as this goes, our buildings are in the same point starting to have more value because the overlying of trying to replace them is costing more, right? So when you think of that, it's now our buildings are having more value. Our debt is still the same number. It's being paid down by our tenants who are being forced to stay longer, whether they want to or not, or choosing to stay longer because they can't get into a house because they can't afford as much house and they don't want to downsize, right? So they're going to stay longer, which is pushing up pricing levels on rent, right? The big part to keep our eye on is that price inflation and wage inflation are not completely matching, right? So so wages are not going up as as prices. And if we can stay in markets where the markets are very well situated, right? A lot of jobs, a lot of lot of job diversity, it puts us in the best place to win. Because yes, we do have havoc out there, but you know, there, there's people or kids out in Indiana who have no idea what's going on in the world, right? And they're still renting apartments, you know? So market-centric is what's going to happen, be very market-focused. I think being out in some very tertiary or secondary markets, that's going to get harder and harder because those are going to be the ones who are more exposed to this big jump in gas prices, the food prices, and everything else we're all seeing. But if you can stay in these areas here, and have product and have a business plan where you're not exposed in the year because you have to do something for your business plan to work, that's the best way for you to succeed. For me, we, we don't factor a, a refi as our only way out. I want to have multiple options where I can choose to refi, I can hold longer, or I can sell because I'm not stuck in a position where I have to do something, right? And that's the hard point where in this lending environment, you know, or even during COVID, right? If you had to do something in that, that couple, that months, those couple months in there, you would have been pretty dried up on, on your choices, right? So to have more options here, more opportunity is going to give you the best way to see the best path forward, regardless of the, the we'll say, circumstances in the market. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Jason. And, and I'm going to point everybody one more time. Yes. You're, you're going to have to say your last name. I already. Right, you're good. Yerusiholdings.com. Yerusiholdings.com. Yerusi. 
And I've, I don't know why I was having such a hard time with it. Yerusiholdings.com. I'll have that link in the show notes. But uh, Jason, I kind of warned you, I have a few rapid fire questions for you if you're up for them. Sure. Happy to do them. So you're not allowed to say rich dad, poor dad, but what book would you recommend everybody checking out and, or, or what are you reading right now? Oh man. So I'm constantly got my something or reading something here. Do I have my phone? I was actually listening to something I'll say there. I'll say listening because it's audible the other day that I thought was pretty interesting. The lifestyle investor, Justin Donald, that was the last one I was looking at. I was reading, what is it? Gary B's 13. 13 Steps, right? That was an interesting one. Recently, my buddy Hunter Thompson gave me one of his books about raising capital. So I I dove in that, does a great job. So those are a couple of ones that I've been kicking through over the last couple. Well, awesome recommendations. So everybody is familiar with the uh, late night infomercials. You know, real estate investing is a get rich quick scheme, right? What is a real estate investing myth you'd like to bust right? You know, anybody can do it. You don't have to like Remember, I was a bartender for like less, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, right? We just made a decision that we wanted to change our circumstances. And someone said it very well is that we all have something to offer, right? You, you either have money, you have time, you have knowledge, you have credit, right? And someone, I, I forget who said that, but someone said that and it's all true, right? You might not have money, but you got plenty of time to go out there and find something where you can bring some a value to somebody else, or you might have the knowledge that somebody else has the money and has the time to help you with, right? So you can get into real estate, but you have to take action right? You, you can study as much as you want to, but trust me, the action of doing something is going to be the education you need and you won't get the best result you want and you won't get the worst result you wanted. So the downward pressure that you go by, by a building and then it burns and flies away in the Wizard of Oz, you know, like that's the worst case. Like that's not going to happen. Take action, surround yourself with good people and a lot of good things will happen. Yeah. Awesome. So speaking as an entrepreneur and a business owner, what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Honestly, I, part of what I just shared, take action, right? You know, like, we are going to have bad things. I think someone said, uh, this too shall pass, right? There, and it's your bigger thing. It, the, the, what would it be? It's the, the bigger problem you can solve, the further along you'll be. And typically we, we get so stuck in, in small problems and we allow it to run our day. And that's why we don't get the big, big goals we want because we don't say, okay, that not a big deal. So the more you can just throw away the small things and realize that they're just part of it, then, then you don't even realize them five years from now, the bigger problems you're solving, the more you're able to achieve. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me, I, I forget where I read it, but I remember reading something about it was prioritizing your day and, and they were recommending, take a look at what you have to do for the day. And what is, what are those few things that would make up 80% of your day? Like do those, prioritize those, and it probably make a bigger impact. We get, like you said, yeah. we get really caught up and spend a lot of cycles on very small things sometimes that really don't make a oh, lot yeah. of impact. Yeah. So what is the worst piece of business advice you've ever received? Probably so bad I forgot it. So, so I, I come from a stubborn Italian family. So, so I, you know, trust but verify, right, is the, is the point. But honestly, you know, the, you know, partnerships are important, right? So make sure you want to go into them, right? So I'll say the, the worst part is I, I've had one partnership back in the restaurant world that, that didn't go. And it was because we didn't communicate, but it ruined a friendship. Right. And, and, and it was probably doing fine, but 
It simply could have been that sometimes the easiest thing to do is have the hard conversation first, which is you think is the hard conversation, which is the easiest conversation you can have then because the harder conversation later is what can ruin friendships, right? And so it's not worth it ruining a friendship over something that could be easily talked about. Yeah, no, can't agree more. You either start with an awkward conversation or you end with an awkward conversation. So yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? I I get this question. I always say, well, hey, I, I could, but I wouldn't listen, right? So so sometimes you have to learn your path just to get where you are so you can finally hear it, right? And so I could tell it all. I don't think I would have listened. But honestly, you know, we, we think that, you know, time's going fast. It really is. So, so take advantage of it while it's here. Yeah. It, my wife and I were talking about this just the other night. A, a great example is we were doing a, a Bible study and, and we've read the same verses over and over and over and over again, but yeah. something is revealed, something new every time. And it's that experience and something is just yeah. like you, it, yeah. something new is revealed every time. So, is there a, well, I just end with this. Is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here? I usually don't act on that principle. So I'm going to say I, I've been really happy with a great questions today, great conversation. So now I've been, I've been psyched with what we've done. No, I really appreciate that. One more time. I'm going to make sure to have that link in the show notes, but I'm going to have you say it one more time for me, Jason. Sure. So Yerusi, Y-A-R-U-S-I, YerusiHoldings.com. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again really soon. I hope you'll come back sometime. Absolutely. Be happy to. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.